Good afternoon, everybody. Well, that's going to make this easier. (laughs) Yeah, you're awake now. That's good. Watch for what's coming. Um, I just want to say thank you to you guys. I'll explain this in a minute if you're a guest today or something, but I just want to thank you um, as my church family. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> let, me, let me back this truck up a little bit because I better tell you what's going on before. If you're a guest, you're like, this is weird. <laughs> so... My mom passed away about eight days ago, and I'm still trying to f- figure out how to, you know, walk through it. And I just want to say thank you to my church. Um, it's really not cool for the lead pastor to be gone on big holidays like Easter. And uh, I got so much grace from all of you just to be gone and to be with my family in the course of that journey. And it was just a great gift that you gave to me. Um, I want you to know how proud I am of you as a church. Um, Killed me, just killed me to miss Easter from my perspective. I wanted to be here. I have never missed an Easter among you, and uh, it just was heartbreaking not to be able to be here with you and to be able to celebrate Christ's resurrection together with my church. Um, But I just want you to know how proud of you all I am. I when we left town, we're driving out of town, we're passing all these little yard signs, Easter at Lakeside, Easter at Lakeside, you know, and, and it matches up, the signs match up with the map out there on the wall in the lobby, and it just shows where we all are, and it shows that we're living for Christ, and we're all at different stages in that journey, but, but we're living it, and God doesn't say, hey, unless you live it perfectly, you can't live it. He walks with us, he's patient with us, and he says, I'm going to walk it with you, and you are. And I'm just proud of you for that. I want you to know how proud I am of Sean and our team. Uh, yeah, good stuff. I have to tell you this. It's a little intimidating to be sitting in another church. We went to my family's home church down in Southern California the last couple weekends. It's a little intimidating to be sitting in the 11 o'clock service on Easter Sunday morning and getting texts like, packed house at 11 o'clock at Lakeside. It's like, that was pretty cool. And then Sean's killing it. Don't hurry back. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I just, I love what Sean was able to bring. I love uh, what the team was able to bring, our staff, our volunteers, all of you who are serving in whatever capacity that looks like just was amazing. So thank you for that. Um, I'm proud of the ministry that Lakeside has in this community and just being away from it and being able to know uh, I can be proud of my church. And not just the church that I lead and not just the church that I serve, but the church to which I belong. We've been doing this together for 25 years now. And for a long, long time, I would say if I was going back to Southern California to our hometown, we would say, oh, we're going to go to our home church. But while I was there, I couldn't wait to get back to my home church here. So, I love you guys. I'm grateful for you. And, you know, 
we're in this together to move the kingdom ball down the field, and that's what we're about. And so thank you for the grace you give to me and to us and to, and to be able to share this together. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We sing about, you know, God, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Well, what does God do with all that beauty? He lets us see it. He lets us experience it together. And then he builds that into us, so he lets the world see it through us. And that's amazing. So thank you for all of that. Let me, let me give you a little bit um, of, of information about things that have happened in my life and in uh, this journey. Some of you have been reading my blogs, I think, and maybe that's been helpful to you. I hope they weren't depressing. Um, I heard from some of you that they were helpful, so I'm grateful for that. So if you're new with us today and, or you've been gone for a while, I think I've missed the last three weekends. One was vacation, then I was supposed to be back. And then the last two I've been gone because my mom passed away. So um, I just want to share a little bit of that story um, just so you know, we're, you know kind of what she's walked through and what I've walked through. And then we're going to jump into scripture and try and figure out some of this stuff together and see what it looks like. My mom passed away on March 28th, uh, the day before Good Friday, and three days before Easter. And we were with her in that journey. She w- was with us for about the last, I was, we were able to be with her like the last seven days of her life and telling stories and hosting her friends and her family. My mom got to pay for airplane tickets for most of her grandchildren to come from wherever they were around the country to be with her before she died. She said, I don't care if you're at my funeral, but I'd like to see you before I go. And um, so most of her grandchildren got to come and be with her. All of her children were around her. And uh, we had some really sweet times together. My mom, uh, through all the years that I knew her, was a dynamic, creative, passionate, driven leader. She led in PTA. I think she was the PTA president for every school in which her children participated, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Uh, She was team mom for most of our baseball teams going through Little League and all of of those things. Um, uh, She applied the creativity that God gave to her, and everyone, I believe, has, has some creativity from God. It's part of God's character, and it's part of the character that he passes on to us, he shares with us. And I think everyone has some amount or shape of this creativity that God gives to us. And my mom had this, and she exercised it in a lot of different ways. And she would sometimes put those leadership things together with with her creative gifts, you know, and blend those together and do certain things. So I remember I told this story at the memorial service for mom. I got to do the eulogy for her. And uh, in 1976, my mom was given... she wasn't given anything. She, she, she took most of the things in life, I think. I'll take that position. Sure. So uh, it was the bicentennial year of America, and my mom decided that the elementary school in which my sister was still participating uh, needed to have a party for the bicentennial. You know, so some of you were alive. Some of you weren't even dreamed up yet by 1976, but I was. And so mom said, the school's got to have this bicentennial party. So she got permission from the principal and whoever, you know, gives permission for that stuff. And she 
bakes and builds and then decorates this huge tear cake, like you'd see at weddings, only there's no bride and groom on top. It's just this big tear cake. And she's going to celebrate the bicentennial of the country with all these children at the elementary school. Well, she calls, she gets on the phone and calls all the news stations in Los Angeles, which is about 70 miles away from the town I grew up in called Yucaipa. Yeah, almost none of you have heard of Yucaipa. That's because the news trucks never go there. And that, there's probably some good things. Not a lot of bad things happen there and stuff like that. But they never come out. So my mom calls all the news stations in Los Angeles. She says, we're going to have a bicentennial party at our elementary school. We think you should send a news crew. One television station actually did. Slow news day. So they send this television crew out there. My mom gets all the students out on the, on the grass in front of the cafeteria. And she's got this cake. And she and some of her friends stick 200 candles in the tears around this cake. Wait for it. News crews are there, they're interviewing people, they're doing all the film at 11 type stuff, you know, and then mom gets on the queue, you know, they're going to sing happy birthday, and mom and her buddies, they start lighting these candles, and very, very quickly, the whole confection goes up in flames, and I'm, you know, I'm not making the, well, I'm making some of this up, but, you know, the, the frosting melted, the cake melted, the table melted, the ground underneath the table melted, it's a, it's a bonfire for the bicentennial. Right? Remind me now when I read back through the story of Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and he's calling down fire on Mount Carmel. Uh, That's kind of what it was like that day. I think the only people that were happy were the people from the news crew. (laughs) Because they got a story. That's my mom. She was a driver. She was creative. She liked to make things happen. For years, my mom would come up here to Lakeside, and she participated with us whenever she was here. And in the early days of the church, we used to host these things called... uh, um, Vista banquets. It was a time we got to look out toward the future and say, let's just see what God has for us and let's make plans for that. And actually, we've already built into our schedule. We did before this, before we lost mom, we already built this into the schedule to bring this back uh, this next fall to be able to say, we need to look where we're going. We need to see down the road and say, what's coming up? So my mom would, and dad would come up and, and sometimes they'd bring some friends of theirs and they would cook dinner for the entire church. Now, today you'd go, that's a big deal. In the first time they did it, I think the first anniversary, I think we had 25 people there. So, you know, it's it's like a big Thanksgiving dinner was all it was, you know. But mom wanted to come up and she wanted to participate in this church. And the next year they came back and cooked for maybe 40 people for the Vista Banquet. And they did that for like the first five years of the church until we were getting like 300 people to come to these banquets, something like that. And mom just said, I want to participate. I want to be where you are. I want to be engaged in the things that you're engaged in. And So she served among us. Part of where we are as a church at Lakeside is because my mom said, I'm going to be with you in that journey. In the last several years, mom's health began to decline and she began to suffer with various illnesses. She had bypass surgery 15 years ago or 14, something like that. Um, After having a heart attack, um, she ended up with kidney failure. So she's been on dialysis for the last six years, three times a week, going to a clinic so they could clean her blood, and she hated it, but she kept going because she said, I want to live, and I want to be with my family, and I want to be with my friends. Uh, She had diabetes, and so about six months ago, uh, she was here, and my wife Donna noticed that her foot was red, and she said to mom, how long has that been going on? And I'm not sure mom wanted to say how long I've been going on. I've been going on for a while. Well, foot things and diabetes don't go together. That's not a good deal. And so 
as time went by, her, the redness um, began to turn to blackness in some of her toes, and her toes were dying. And so her vascular surgeon said to her, the only thing we can do at this point is to amputate your foot to save your life. So my mom made a decision. She said, okay, if they're going to amputate my foot, I'm going to use my foot to make a leg lamp. <laughs> I know. I, I'm like, I didn't even know she saw that movie. <laughs> and then the doctor set, set a date for the amputation. And at that point, mom made a different decision. She said, I'm not going to do that. And at the same time, she made the decision to stop doing dialysis. Well, for the whole time she'd been on it, the doctors had said, if you ever quit dialysis, you'll live for about a week or two, and then you'll go to sleep and you won't wake up. So... Two, two weeks ago, I think I got a phone call that, from my mom and my sister that said she's made that decision not to continue on. And now we know that the clock is ticking and it's time to go down and see her. And so that's when I missed two, two weekends ago. We were with mom and she got, to have, <clears throat> she got to have her grandchildren in. She was surrounded by her friends. She was surrounded by her church. Um, we ate more food than human beings should eat in a lifetime. And... Uh, and then about, about five days into it, she pretty much lost consciousness, was in and out, but mostly out, and she passed away on Thursday morning a week ago. And it was an amazing journey for me and for my family. It was a journey of faith, mom's faith, which she's never been great at communicating, uh, the faith of the people around her in her church, the faith of our family. It was a journey of faith. It was a journey of hope, amazing hope. I've never seen my mom more clear and more peaceful about the end of life. It was a journey of hope, and it was a journey of love. And I got to watch mom's friends love her. I got to watch mom's church, our old church, come around and love her. It was amazing. Last week, Pastor Sean did a beautiful job. I got to, I got to watch the service uh, later, but um, Sean did a beautiful job just describing this whole aspect of our core and how, you know, in the, the physical world, we need to strengthen our core. We need to live out this core and, and shape it and make it healthy, and that really extends out to the rest of our physiology so that the rest of us is healthy. And the same thing is true in our spiritual journey. There's this core that we have. And if the core is strong, most likely the rest of us will be strong. And when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you find out that the core consists of three things. These three things remain, faith, hope, and, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so I just want to take a minute today and and take the next step in that process of talking about the core. And I want to use the the background of my mom's story, a story of hope. And I want to talk about that next piece uh, in the core of our spiritual life with Christ and our spiritual life with one another, this thing called hope. Where does the hope come from? In my mother, who was not good at communicating her faith or expressing or explaining her faith, in my mother... Where did the hope come from? 
Let me read for you, and you can follow along with these if you'd like to, just a couple of scriptures. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Here's a passage written by the prophet Jeremiah, and he makes this statement. Lamentations verse three, chapter 3, verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When Jeremiah writes this, Israel is in a dire position. Literally, as a nation, they are dying. The nation's getting smaller. The boundaries are shrinking. It's a dying nation. And Jeremiah writes a lamentation. He, he writes a weeping poem, a weeping song to express his concern for his nation, Israel, as they're dying. And he says, I, I, I've got this problem. I've got affliction in my life, and I tend to wander in my life. And then I, I look at us, and I go, well, how often is that like us? How many times do afflictions come into our lives? The whole Psalm 23 where it talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that's such a vivid picture of what death looks like. It's dark and there are shadows there and you can't see very clearly. And we, and we live with these afflictions and sometimes they're the loss of a loved one, sometimes they're the loss of a job, sometimes they're the loss of a friend, you know, Maybe the afflictions aren't loss at all. Maybe it's pain that comes. Maybe it's the acquisition of pain that comes into our life. And whether it's physical pain or financial pain or emotional pain or whatever, affliction is in this world. Or wandering. And sometimes we look at our life and we go, wow, I wandered from God. There are people all around us, all around those pins in the map out there. There are families that are represented in those neighborhoods. And there are people around us that are wandering far from God. And sometimes they're not aware of it. And sometimes they'll stop long enough to go, wait a second, I'm far from God. I didn't think I was going to be like this in my life, but I'm far from God. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. He says, when I think about those things, I feel the bitterness of it and the gall of it. And he says, my soul is downcast. I remember sitting in the church um, last weekend. It was Easter weekend and everyone was all happy because it was Easter weekend and I'm all sad because my mom had been lost three days before I'm like how can you be all cheerful in church when I'm not cheerful in church and you know I realize here at Lakeside we're always trying to make it feel good it's not about feeling good but if I can feel good I'd rather do that than feel bad right so it's like how do we how do we praise God and how do we celebrate what he's done and and yet sometimes we come in and like man my soul is downcast within me and some of us in the room today that might be what we feel today it's possible In those cases, where does the hope come from? All kinds of writers have written brilliant things about hope, profound things about hope. Hope's one of those things that that humans grasp onto because we want it, because we need it. So people write about hope in all kinds of ways. One writer by the name of Robert Ingersoll wrote this. He said, hope is the universal liar. Tells you where he's going. Hope is the universal liar who never loses his reputation for veracity. That's a horrible statement, but it's really poetically written. 
Hope is a universal liar. In other words, you cannot trust it. Hope comes along into your life, but you can't trust it. You always think you can. So here's kind of my paraphrase of, of what he's saying. You always think you can trust hope, but in reality, you never can trust hope because it lies to us. That's one perspective on hope. Albert Camus had a different way of looking at it. He said, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. I like that one better. In the midst of winter, and my life has been winter for the last few weeks, in the midst of winter, I find there is within me an invincible summer. And it's interesting because in, in, that, in, in those statements, Albert Camus and Robert Ingersoll have something in common. They believe that the human soul always reaches for hope. It's just that Ingersoll thinks it's unattainable. And Camus says, it's within your reach. If you read the Bible, you have to land on the side of Albert Camus. If you walk with Jesus, if you understand who Jesus is, there is for you in your life an invincible summer. Jeremiah says, I remember the bitterness and the gall. And sometimes we say, well, that's sometimes what life looks like. But then he says, but then I remembered this, and this gave me hope. Unless the Lord's love was great for us, we would have no hope. But his love is great for us. His mercies are new every morning. That gives us hope. Peggy Noonan uh, might be a name that you remember. She was one of the speechwriters for President Ronald Reagan when he was in office. She wrote some brilliant speeches. Some of his most famous lines came from Peggy Noonan. She wrote, I think she's a Catholic believer, and she wrote a statement after the recent Uh, conclave to elect a new pope. She wrote about that feeling for Catholics and the pope. She said, after the conclave, I'm grateful for two things. First, after all the strains and scandals, people still came running. A pope was being picked. The smoke came out and the crowd was there in St. Peter's Square. They stood in the darkness, cold and damp, and they waited and cheered and the square filled up. As the cameras panned the crowd, there was joy on their faces and the joy felt like renewal. People come, she says, for many reasons, to show love and loyalty, to be part of something, to see history, but maybe we don't fully know why they run or why we turn on the TV when the first reports come of white smoke. Maybe it comes down to this. We want God, which is what millions of people shouted when John Paul II first went home to Poland This is something in the human heart, and no strains or scandals will prevail against it. We want God. We want hope. And it calls from within us. There's this invincible summer, and it calls from within us. And we have to figure out where that hope comes from. And if you're a follower of Christ, you might be able to read ahead in the story and go, Oh, 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 I know this one. Or maybe you're not quite there yet and you go, yeah, where, where does that hope come from? Where do we find hope? I'd like to know that. 
Again, Jeremiah says in verse 21, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Therefore, I have hope. Where does the hope come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from a relationship with the Lord. That's where it comes from. But the question that I ask goes back to Robert Ingersoll. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's this hope there. There's this summer that's in my heart. But is it, is it real? Is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? Or is hope just a liar that we can't really trust? Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul, the apostle, says, To them, to the church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's this mystery that the world has tried to look into, and God says, Paul says, here's how God reveals it. He reveals it to his church. That's us. He reveals it to the Gentiles. That's the world around us. He reveals it among them through us. And he says, here's the mystery, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. When Christ is in you, that brings into our lives the hope of glory. Now, as Americans, I think we tend to read that from a Western perspective. We read that from an American perspective, and we're so caught up in our own worldview that we don't really notice how we read it. But in America, we do things as individuals. It's all about individualism. It's all about me getting ahead, me making a way, me doing something. It's I, 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 I. And there's a lot of ways that makes us very strong as a nation, but there's some ways it trips us up when it comes to God. And so we come to this statement, we go, oh, it's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or, or to make it personal, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And if I have Christ in me, if I have Jesus in my heart, then I have hope. And I have the hope of glory, the hope of being in heaven someday with God. Christ in me. And that's what happens when you read it from an American perspective. But what, what would happen if you read it from a Jewish perspective? Which is where all this truth from Scripture came from. What would happen if you read it from a a perspective that instead of looking at things as individuals, looked at things as a community? Then maybe you'd read these words differently. Maybe instead of saying, Christ in me, the hope of glory, or Christ in you, singular, the hope of glory, maybe you'd see it more like Christ in you all, the hope of glory. Or maybe you could read it from a southern perspective, Christ in y'all. See, I I think that's the nature of what he's saying is Christ in you all. When Christ is in you all, in this thing called church, that's where Christ is in you all. When Christ is in you all, then there's the hope of glory. I've got a mentor who is fond of saying, the local church is the hope of the world. And that's a great statement. I don't think the PTA is the hope of the world. If you're in PTA, God bless you, I think that's beautiful. I don't think Little League is the hope of the world. It's cool, but it's not the hope of the world. And my mom was involved in all those kinds of things. Wonderful. And You know, we have lakesiders involved in all those kind of things, and we shape the community by that, and that's wonderful. But my friend says, the local church is the hope of the world. And I'm like, that's a pretty good statement, but I think maybe Colossians chapter 1 would say it just a little bit differently. I think Colossians 1 would say it this way. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The church is just the delivery system. Are you familiar with delivery systems? How many of you, how many of you, your favorite food is celery? One. 
two. Nuh-uh. Okay, two celery lovers among us. That, you're the first two I've ever heard of. Of course, I've never asked the question before, so that's all right. So celery, I mean, celery's all right. It's, it's good. It's just water wrapped in fiber. That's fine. Um, but you know what celery really is? It's, it's really just a delivery system for peanut butter. Right? I mean, vanilla ice cream. Think about this. Vanilla ice cream is the greatest selling ice cream by far. I'm not sure. I think vanilla ice cream sells more ice cream than all the other flavors together, including chocolate and peppermint. Vanilla ice cream. Why? Have you ever tasted vanilla ice cream? It's, it's vanilla. But you know what vanilla ice cream really is? It's a delivery system for chocolate. Tortilla chips. They're all right. You know, some of you go through a bag of tortilla chips, you know, and then like, what did I just do? But tortilla, tortilla, stay with me. Tortilla chips, as fabulous as they are, they're just a delivery system for guacamole. What is church? Church is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, but the church is the delivery system. What I got to watch last weekend, when my mom was aware that she was dying, but she was still alert and able to communicate, and all of her friends began to come in, and all her church began to surround her, and they began to pour out food on her because they couldn't think of anything else to do. What we got to see in that weekend and in this last week is that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the church is the delivery system. The church is the thing that comes alongside of us when we're weak and when we're lost and when we wander. And when we're broken and when we are in the valley of the shadow of death. The church comes alongside of us and it carries us and walks with us, and it creates the mystery of Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. That's what Jesus Christ died to give us. It's the core of what we believe. And some of you are up to here with it. You're like, I'm living in the church. I'm living out the, I'm living out the hope of Christ. I'm serving others. I'm doing my thing in the church, and I'm surrounded by Christ's people. And some of you have not yet connected. And I want to ask you to connect. The reason the church came around my mother was not because she showed up on Sundays. It's because she participated. And she served. And she got to know the people in her church. And they got to know her. And so when she had a need, they came around her. And they made the difference for her. Because through the church... Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And I don't want you to miss that. If you're brand new and you're just coming in and you're sitting and watching, that's great for a time, but don't just sit and watch forever. Join, join the team out in the lobby. Join the team in the tech booth. Join the team with the children's ministry or student ministries. Join the team because that's where the church comes alongside of you and becomes the hope of glory in your life. That's why we unleash the church into the world to love our neighborhoods because they need the same hope that we have. Jesus, I pray for us today. 
I want our church to experience that mystery, that hope that is in us. And Lord, I know hundreds of us here do, but many of us don't because we're not really connected. So Lord, build your church and build your hope into this church and be honored through us. Lord, thank you for these things. Amen.